0: Welcome to the Move Well Radio Podcast, where we discuss all things related to health and wellness, we dispel common myths and misconceptions regarding healthcare, and we do it in a way that you can actually understand. And it's hosted by yours truly, Dr. Roger St. Ange, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Founder of Move Athletics Physical Therapy and Performance.
1: Alright, what's going on everybody? Doc Miguel here with another episode of the Move Well Radio Podcast. Today we have a special guest and a new member of the team for the next 10 weeks, uh, Nick Casagrande from AIC, Physical Therapy Program, right? Yep. Nice. And we also have Doc Alex here who's going to join us. We're going to do a little bit of roundtable, get to know Nick a little bit, because uh, we don't really know much of Nick. All we know is he's coming from AIC, and we're going to learn a little bit about his experience, his background, uh, and just get to know him. So Nick, thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So I guess usually we start this off just to kind of figure out who you are as a person, like get to know you, your background, how you got into PT. Uh, So give me a background, who is Nick, where did you come from? So I'm from Connecticut, (laughs) originally
2: from Milford, Connecticut. Um, Grew up playing sports, a lot of football, a lot of track, a lot of throwing shot put. Nice. Um, I played a year of football at Springfield College and i ended up getting injured my freshman year uh kind of ended up derailing my football career in a way so a little bit of background with that i originally kind of pulled my hamstring a bit uh summer working out going into my freshman year and just dumb 18 year old didn't know how to rehab that didn't really stop kept trying to push through got it to a point where i could kind of run and train again Um, get up to Springfield, and that happens again. Missed three weeks of camp. Um, Did the whole PT rehab for a couple weeks there. Um, The program had like a hamstring return to play kind of thing. Pulled it again during that. Didn't tell anybody. That was kind of the common theme of this. Kind of shut my mouth, returned to practice, and I remember the... Uh, the exact rep my hamstring kind of exploded um, <laughs> I was we were doing like a pass protection one-on-one drill and I was going against like the starting the end. I won the rep but my hamstring blew up Jeez. it was the loudest pop and it was a lot of pain um, again went back to my dorm didn't say anything tried to suck it up tried to practice the next day but I kind of got to the point where I knew I couldn't really hide it anymore so went to the athletic trainers and they kind of shut me down for the year. Um but then, you know, continue to go to PT and I got to experience that for a few months and I kind of became interested in the whole process. And um, at that point my grades weren't too good because I kinda you know, lost my identity in a way because I really wasn't playing football. So like, you know, I was sad. Didn't really study a ton. My grades weren't the best. Uh, so um yeah, as the years kind of went on, the it wasn't very realistic that I would get into PT school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I tried anyways, and I applied to eight schools I didn't get into a single one, which was tough. So I took a gap year, and I got accepted to AIC. And, you know, I told this to Alex before, but the administration had told me at AIC that, you know, PT probably wasn't going to be for me. I should go into... Yeah, exercise science, something where the academic rigor wasn't as high because they didn't think I had the potential as a student. But, yeah, I went through the program, and here I am on my last clinical. Kind of made you, it through. Uh, so, yeah,
1: I love that. kind of the abbreviated story how I got here. I think that's a great story. It's funny to listen to that because it's almost like a hybrid of our stories. Mm. <laughs> you Go had the, the athletic injury. <laughs> I had the, the same experience where somebody told me, PT wasn't for me. Um, so it's kind of funny to hear that because it's literally a spitting image of both. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of similar
3: things in terms of, like, <laughs> the you know loss of uh, identity.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really sure
2: about was at school. No,
3: um, very similar. I had a – I don't know if it was a hamstring. I never got imaging or anything like yeah. that done. But uh, very similar of, like, kind of hid through pain and all of a sudden just like, oh, that's, yeah. that's not not going to happen anymore. Let's yeah. – go rehab this and maybe we'll get back to playing, but never really came to fruition. So yeah, I'm hearing a lot of similarities in terms of of where I'm coming from.
1: Not funny, but you mentioned something that kind of stuck with me that I've heard him say a lot of times. It's like you lost your identity. Yeah. Uh, And that's a big thing too, because I didn't have any athletic injury. I played basketball in college. Um, I didn't have an injury that like derailed my career or anything like that. But like when I finished playing, that's how I felt. I was always a Mm -hmm. basketball player. I didn't know what I was going to do from here. Uh, but it seems like very similar stories in your end. Like, hey, I got injured, kind of found PT, and different reasons why you kept going with it. But that, that's pretty cool. Um, so, what was your initial experience with PT? So, you had these injuries, you went to football camp. First of all, what position were you? In? Uh, so They referred me to play center. Center. All right. I don't know anything about football. What does that even mean? So that's the guy who snaps the ball. Uh,
3: <laughs> no, now you speak my language. You call, you called a play once. I don't know how well it turned out, but you, you called call it. On
1: something <laughs> so oh well, on, I, do, I, do, I do on I'm our really social media sports. we uh, we did a whole football poll, and I literally <laughs> had to go online and look up how to play call something and it was like a generic play call and I just sent it into the mic and I don't know if it's true or it works or it, I don't even know anything about it uh, uh, but that's funny so you were the center snapping the ball in yeah, my terms right yeah. <laughs> uh, was that the position you always played or was that specifically for yeah so four, um,
2: I was pretty good in high school I went all stage at center won a few awards whatever um but yeah, I, was a, I always played I always played center, I played
1: a little bit of defense, played linebacker, but um, yeah, I was probably best at, oh. best at center. So did we have football dream going forward, or was it just like, hey, I just want to get to college and play a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so
2: of um, I had aspirations for D1, but, but yeah, kind of fell short, my height being, not to be, that was a pun, kind of, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> nice. but you know, that was like a big reason why like, D1 didn't work out, because you know, most... Division 1 offensive line, you know, 6'2", you know, 5'10", so that, yeah. that was kind of, yeah, you know, big obstacle to overcome. Was so. oh, there any interest? Like, D1 interest? Yeah, um, a little bit. They wanted to play defense, and I wasn't a big fan of that for whatever reason. You know, probably just a dumb 18-year-old kid, being stubborn, just wanted to play offense. Okay. But, you know, this is what it is. It got me to where I am, yeah. which I'm very happy with. So.
1: That's something I believe in a lot is, like, things happen for a reason. Yeah. Right. All of us had different issues and got us to this point, um, but I wouldn't trade it at all. Like they, yeah. they put me where I am at now, and who knows where this will put me at in the future. But um, so you mentioned a little about your injury, the the hamstring, like you mentioned, like kind of blew up, got injured, and you were hiding it for a while. Started to get some PT through there. What was that first PT experience like? Was that did you feel knowing what you know now as a student? Um, did you feel like that was good PT? Did you feel like you were benefited from it like what got you hooked
2: I, I did I did think I benefited from it um you know at, at Springfield they had like the students run it basically and I thought like with supervision of the you know the head athletic trainer and um and I think it I, it worked I went from you know, really struggling to like get around campus just because I was in so much pain and I couldn't even I couldn't move my knee whatsoever because uh, how my hamstring was and in a relatively short period of time, I was able to function much better. Get out of bed, walk to class without pain. Like I, obviously, I couldn't play yet, but yeah. just to get around was significantly easier. And I definitely took that for granted. Uh, just being able to walk from one end to campus to the other. And, you know, Springfield College campus is not that big, and yeah. it was very tough for me to do that at first. So, uh, just so from like where I was, being in so much pain, not being able to walk, and just to get that back, yeah. you know, I kind of thought you know that was really cool and something i could um you know get into long term um especially like, to work with athletes and like to give them the opportunity to play their sport again and to like, kind of keep their identity as long as they can um
1: i always i really like the idea of that yeah you know? that's pretty cool but again spitting image because that's pretty <laughs> round, so that oh, yeah. to me. um <laughs> It's interesting. The Springfield College, uh, for those who don't know, I went to Springfield for a year in their PT program, and I've lived around this area my whole life. But Springfield College is really known for their, um, not necessarily athletics, but like athletic based ma- majors, like exercise science, strength and conditioning, physical therapy. Like they're very medically, um, I would say, advanced for most colleges, uh, and they're very active. Like Springfield College is always doing something outside and handing out t shirts and this and that and that. Uh, so it's interesting to see, when you first went to Springfield, was PT even on your radar?
2: No, I, I was actually thinking that as I was talking. Um, I didn't know it was like a profession. I had no idea. No one I knew received physical therapy, like I had never been to physical therapy before. I had no idea it was even an avenue that you could go down. So like, to have that first experience, it was very educational because I just opened up to like a whole new world. Very... Yeah. And what was your major going in? Uh, sports biology so i kind of had an idea of going into athletic training from it just because like that's you know I, I saw the athletic trainer in high school and i was like oh that'd be cool to like you know work you know be on the field with in like the football team or whatever and like never have to leave sports so like a lot of my decisions are kind of based on just not having to leave like the sports fields
1: <laughs> that's fair I, I think i was kind of the same way that's the the realm that I love the most just being on the field, or in my case, the court. Yeah, I wanted to do something with that. But I think that's that's pretty common. People will get into that. Um, I have a little bit of a different story in terms of, like, getting into PT. But most commonly getting in is, hey, I got injured. Yep. I went and got PT, and I liked it, and here I am.
3: <laughs> you, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think 90% of the students you ask in any PT program are like, ah, oh, I was just some sort of athlete, and then something went wrong. And here we are now. But uh yeah, and in, like, that vein, like, when you first got into PT, like, the experience, obviously, is different from person to person, and people fall in love with, with it for different reasons, but, like, when you first got in there, like, did your PT have any idea of, like, the demands of your sport and, like, where you needed to be, or was it kind of more of, this is where we're at, we just need to get you out of pain to start?
2: Yeah, she, she did. She was actually a field hockey player. She I think she was, like, a senior on the field hockey team, and she had... Uh, suffered some injuries throughout her career so she was really able to like relate to me and um, like really knew what I needed so mm-hmm. she like pushed me and like would hold me back if necessary and it was overall it was like, a really positive experience and uh, looking back at it I really haven't reflected on it much but I'm really thankful for that experience because if it went poorly
1: probably wouldn't have gone down this avenue. Yeah I think that's that's interesting you say that because I talk about that all the time but like and we talk about it, actually, as a, a company. Like, those experiences are huge, right? You want to create a good experience. And actually, I mentioned these off-camera or before, was like sometimes you have the best intentions to help somebody and you might not be doing the right thing, but because they had a great experience in there, they, they keep coming and they love it and they feel like they're getting better uh, in the best way possible, right? We're still doing all the diagnosis and trying to help, but uh, there's, a, there's something to say about having a good experience, right? And it took you into a way where you were into it. Um, and I've even had people come into me to ask me at a different clinic, like what my injury history was, because they wanted to see, they didn't think that if I didn't have an injury, I could match up with them well, uh, which I think is interesting, but that's a whole other topic there.
3: Yeah. Your injury history is like that big. Yeah. Mine's not,
1: thankfully. <laughs> you know? But um, no, I mean, I agree. I, I think that's, it's pretty cool to see sometimes too, even though that's the typical answer. Uh, I'm glad people are getting that good experience from it, even though as you start to learn, a lot of the PTs that you may have seen in the past mm-hmm. weren't very good, yeah. but that experience brought you where they were, yeah. right? Um, so, all right, so you go to Springfield, you graduate from there, right? You took the gap year, now you're at AIC. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like walking in your first semester at AIC? Um,
2: I remember walking into the first day of orientation just like shaking, just <laughs> <was> so nervous, <laughs> and just like, I really didn't know what the. I was very hopeful I would get the whole three-year experience because I was just so afraid of failing again because I took not getting into school as a failure. And to that point in my life, I really hadn't experienced a ton of that. Um, And I just, like, I really wanted to succeed. I wanted to get through. And I, um, yeah, I was just really nervous. (laughs) Really nervous the whole first year. And especially, like, progressing through, like, you know, you get through the summer, and it was just, like, anatomy. Mm-hmm. So, like, it wasn't too bad. But then you get into the first semester, um, like, in the fall, and you start to hear horror stories of, like, <laughs> that first semester, and, like, oh, this is when the kids fail out. And this is, like, mm-hmm. when your practicals start. And it's just it's, – it's very – it's scary at first. <laughs> you invest a lot of time and money and effort into yeah. getting into school. And, you know, I had to go through the whole application process twice. And, like, I remember – like the first time I did it, I just went through my whole bank account just applying to schools. I spent all, like, and I would th- periodically for, through the first semester, I would think back to that time. Like, I don't, I didn't want all that to be for nothing. So, it's it's, it's definitely scary at first. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Especially the way they do at ASE in terms of, like, that first orientation day. Like, you got a bunch of new faces. It's probably somewhere between 50. And they're the first thing they do is they sit you down. And they're like, all right, this is how the program works. Uh, this will be your academic demand. And... This is where you need to be. And then we're going to call on another teacher, and they're going to tell you what happens if you don't do that. So that's literally how, like, the whole orientation nice, starts. Welcome. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, let's, let's get to it. So, yeah, very warranted and like, feeling the way you did. like
1: hundred percent. And you guys went to AIC, right? Yep. So I don't have any experience with AIC, but I had to go through that process twice. I took a different school. I did it at Springfield and I did it at MGH. Uh, and I remember... Uh, it's interesting, your stories, but I think I can relate with you a little bit more because you went through the three three program, right?
3: Yeah. So you have
1: a different kind of vision and how you tracked that out.
3: Yeah. I never had to deal with like GREs or yeah. applying to grad school. I was just like, all right, you're good. So you mentioned something
1: that was interesting. And you're like, hey, I did this process twice. I did it three or four times. Right. <laughs> so it was a pain in the butt. Um, but I had that same mentality, which I actually think is a... Um, a benefit going into PT school or any graduate school, really, of like, hey, that failure piece that, like, and I wouldn't even call it failure, it's more like a learning experience. But uh, that feeling you got initially when you didn't get into a place, when you first get into somewhere, mm-hmm. is like, honestly, I think I, that whole Springfield experience where I got dismissed and all that type of stuff, that helped me prepare me for my next experience. Yeah. Uh, because I still didn't know what I was getting myself into when I first went in. And when I got in the second time, my focus of like, hey, I'm here to do, like, this is going to be my profession. This is no longer part of my schooling. This is not my fourth year, senior year, whatever. And that mind shift is huge. I see a lot of people struggle with that who go through three and three programs, especially when I was at Springfield. I was one of three graduate students everybody else was three and three mm-hmm. uh, and they were still worried about like hey what are we doing on the weekends like oh, yeah. going out And like guys like this is like you can't just study and like, forget <laughs> everything like this is you're gonna have a patient in front of you yep. uh, so it, it's interesting you mentioned that because that's a feeling that i always had was not the fear of failure but everybody always asked me like why'd you keep going like why like, in my response is like i liked it one and if i start something i'm going to finish it Right, I don't care if I fail forty times. Uh, you'll learn, right? I tell Alex all the time. You need to pass your boards by one point. Yep. And guess why I say that? Because I passed by one point. <laughs> right, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's that like you just need to get to the goal. Uh, so I, I like that that you felt that because even though I don't wish that upon anybody, I think it sets you up and your mindset's a little bit different yeah, going yeah. in. I-
3: it's actually something we were talking about yesterday with that, like, the goal of, like, all these people are like, oh, where am I going to work at this point? But, like, a ton of people get to that point and they're like, all right, I want to work with these people. But, like, there's a big scary test sitting right in front of you still. And if you don't pass that, like, I think you were talking about one of your friends, he was, like, going to get this clinic all to himself and, like, run the thing. And it's just like, oh, he didn't pass his board. So now he's, like, pushing patients for someone else that could have been his job so
1: mm -hmm. that's tough to navigate those waters too um but yeah the the whole process the first day is always scary that whole first semester you're like all right i just need to get through this and then figure things out and then the real first academic semester is like you got hit by a truck like what just happened most of us barely survived through it i barely survived through my first semester (laughs) um so what was that first semester like for you right so you went through your orientation you're a little nervous you start to get to know people, you start to get to know yeah. professors. What was that experience like when you first start taking academic classes like a full load? Um, yeah, looking back at it, I definitely could have went about it more efficiently. Yeah.
2: So I was definitely like one of those kids that just like, didn't leave the library, like studied 10 plus hours a day for, you know, every day of the week. Probably wasn't necessary. We just review things to nausea, And... I kind of kept that up, up until like COVID hit. Yep. I kind of threw a of so that first semester it was just, like just anatomy. I would, you know, would go to class and then we'd have lab after, uh, the cadaver lab. And then I would, you know, work out and, I'd, you know, hour and a half rush through it just because I was always so anxious about just like getting back into the library because I always felt like I had to, um... Yeah, so it was just, I lived in the library. I'd go back to Springfield College and just, like, go upstairs into the quiet section of the library and Mm -hmm. just be by myself and just study all day, every day. And I was definitely very run down. And I was only taking one class. So, like, go on to, like, the fall semester, and it was just that tenfold. You know, it it definitely wasn't healthy. (laughs) (laughs) And going back looking at it and like seeing how i evolved as a student like for the next three years i definitely didn't have to do all that to myself But were you did you have that
1: same experience do you feel like you were like living in the library
3: (laughs) no i did not take uh the grad school experience very seriously that first year so like as a three and three your senior year of undergrad is your first year of grad school right so when you do that it's like your mind isn't fully there like i was in a little bit different situation like you had mentioned earlier people were like concerned on the weekends i never really partied or go went out or anything like that so i was like that halfway one foot in the door but the rest of me is out so i still kept my like undergrad study habits of all right i'm gonna wait till three days before a test cram it all in and i'll be up till 4 a.m on day test day and then we'll work our way out there it worked for maybe the summer when i only had one class yeah. and then as soon as like you start taking like 10 classes, including labs and stuff like that. And you have to be, you're working like a nine to five, basically. Like you don't have any excess time to spend doing anything else or you need to start studying like a month out, (laughs) get familiar with the concept. So yeah, not, not in the same vein. I um, definitely didn't take the diligence that I should have, but eventually started to develop those healthy habits and need a little kick in the ass. (laughs) From a couple of professors to be yeah, like, hey, if this is for you, you need to start working yeah. towards it. So I
2: think I definitely had that mindset just because I didn't get in the mm-hmm. first time. So like I always felt like early on I had something to prove, mm-hmm. and like I'd look around the room and I would just, especially like that first day with uh, of orientation, I looked around the room and, like everyone's like you know dressed up and whatever, and I was looking around and I was like, all oh, these kids are probably smarter than me, and I kind of had that thought going into like when classes started starting and stuff. So I felt. I had, to work like the, I had to work that extra bit harder just to keep up with everybody else. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously, like, you get to know people and, like, some people have a very similar story and, like, some people that, you know, we thought were super smart like, didn't really work out <laughs> for them either, yeah. you know? So, like, um, it was definitely, like, a predisposition I had going yeah. in. I think that's kind of why I
1: carried myself that way the first couple years of school. Yeah, I think that that's... It brings me to the point I made earlier, like that's the mindset shift and you guys just explained exactly what I was trying to get at, okay. which, uh, which is not a bad thing, right? If I was a senior going into my first year, I wouldn't be there either. Um, but that fear of like knowing like this might be my only shot, especially after applying and not getting into the places, like that's that's fuel, Right. Um, and I had, in my case, somebody tell me, like, hey, this is not a profession for you after I got dismissed from a program. So my thoughts were like, I'm going to get this done. And guess who I emailed right after I got my results? That person. Uh, in the nicest of ways. Like, I mean, it wasn't a jerk message. But uh, I needed to prove that to myself that it wasn't I, – like I said, I went through some health stuff. So that definitely had some factors to do. But I needed to prove to myself that this was not – uh, me mentally like i had the capacity to do it mm-hmm. it's just the timing and what was going on at the life that time just didn't happen And i always say like my fiance kind of yells at me because i always talk about my failure at school she's like you didn't fail like they had such a high standard and you were 0. 0.6 away from that standard <laughs> and you had this health stuff going on so um yeah that's why i always reframe things it's never really failing you just learn from that experience and uh, that had to happen, right? Without that, I would not have gone to MGH, got a whole experience in Boston, met all these people, full circle, end up here. Um, but that, that's pretty interesting. So first year, first semester comes through, nervous, living in the library, definitely not some healthy habits there. Uh, I was a little bit hybrid of you guys. I wasn't always in the library, but I also was a little bit more motivated that I knew I had to do stuff. Uh, but I mentally couldn't stay in the library. I couldn't do it. I would get... That's too much for me. That's overload. Um, so, I was never a good studier. I still not, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, uh, go, going, into, uh, like going into that,
2: I was not a good student. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, through undergrad, like, I didn't, my freshman year of undergrad, like, I didn't study anything. I got C's in a couple classes. So, like, it was definitely very, like, a new experience for me to, like, to actually spend a lot of time studying. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it was definitely something I had to force myself to do. It wasn't easy at all. Hey, you develop good habits and you yeah. start
1: understanding, I'm going to call it the game. Of graduate school because you start to know your teachers. You start to know how they question things. Mm-hmm. You start to know what they look for. Uh, and that's a big downfall for a lot of people because they just play the game. That's it. Uh, and they forget that this is stuff that you're going to need to know later on. Like, I admittedly, I did that too, right? But there's stuff that, like, this guy, like, we're asking questions and he'll know like this. I'm like, oh, I remember talking about it. <laughs> I don't remember what it does, right? It goes uh, both ways. Yeah, but it happens. And it's just our experience is how we, we take things in, but... Um, all right, so first year's done, right? You made it, yeah. right? Usually that's the hardest of the years. Mm-hmm. How do you feel the next couple of years going into it? And like, what were your experiences outside of the classroom? Did you get mm-hmm. out of the library? Yes. <laughs> well,
2: I mean, we were kind of forced out because halfway through our the spring semester COVID hit. Mm. So like, I remember sitting in, it was uh, musculoskeletal patient management lab. We were leaving for um, our spring break. <laughs> And we had an exam the first day we came back. And I remember sitting in a Starbucks like the Friday before going back up, and they were like, Oh, don't come back. We're going to push this out. Yeah. Back another week. And then the same thing happened next week. And then they basically canceled the rest of the semester. <laughs> and I spent the rest of that semester in my room on Zoom, and no one was leaving their house. Like, yeah. so. The World um, shut down. Yeah, I was like were you part of that
3: too. Yeah, so I was I was a year ahead of him, and uh, like it was, I was literally kind out
2: the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: It was the same situation. Though. I remember we were sitting in a, I think it was like cardio palm or something like that, and they're like, "All right, enjoy your spring break. We'll see you in a week." And then we, get, we get like a call from the professor. And he's like, "All right, so you had your spring break. You're getting spring break too. Uh, the sequel probably isn't going to be as great as the first one, but it was like, yeah, don't worry about your homework. Don't worry about the exams. We'll just push it out a week." And then it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And I was like, Yikes. okay, we're going to readjust our frame set here. We might not be able to graduate in on time and stuff like that. I was like, oh, shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> worked out well, though. But, like, yeah, that was one of those things of the whole world flips upside down on you. And, like, you're in the middle of, like, probably the most important years of your life in terms of trying to get your feet under you and build a career. <laughs> it's just all, like, it's uncertain now. There's no clear identification of if this is going to work or not. And I'm sure for someone that was like earlier in the program and not like right at the end, mm-hmm. this like fear of like, how long am I going to have to deal with this? Like, yeah. you know, and then completely shifting from in-person education to now online where you're supposed to be learning manual skills and all these different things where there's no like tactile feedback and actual things to be like, you can only see like 2d, mm-hmm. you can only see one angle. Someone can't walk around and you'd be like, Oh, your hand placement needs to be here. That was like, Terrifying to me, be like, how am I supposed to treat a patient? When I haven't even had like hands-on of the right skills or something like that. And I'm sure you can relate to that too in it a certain was, sense.
2: Uh, it was definitely tough learning joint modes on mm. Zoom. So like that was that was interesting. Taking a lot of taking a lot of videos. I would have to like you know grab my mom, dad, or brother yeah. and like prop them up on my bed and like angle my phone in a certain way to take a video and then send it to my professor and then they would give feedback on the video. But like how good is
1: that feedback you know yeah yeah no that's tough that's thankfully that's something i didn't have to go through otherwise i think i probably would have failed out um because that i don't do well with that um but that's that's interesting because if you think about that and really put it in perspective uh we're in a pandemic right now right the last one was what 100 years ago um there might not be another student class that ever experiences what you guys had to experience yeah no, (laughs) that's amazing first of all you got through it right Uh, and they I think most schools handled it okay right nobody knew what they were getting into but as a PT student that's gotta be tough so how how did you feel like that transition When Did you feel like they did a good job holding that? You don't have to bash the program or anything like that. Nobody knew what was going on but how was your experience?
2: I think certain professors did a lot better than others and I think a lot of professors were more willing to go the extra mile than others. Um, so I think my class in particular, our skills are definitely better with like musculoskeletal because I mm. think those professors kind of did a lot more for us than yeah. Yeah, like our neuro per se you know, they would, um, they did things they didn't have to do. Like they would, uh, one of our professors in our, um, like Therax and like treatment class, she would grab her kids and throw them on a treatment table and take videos <laughs> for us mm-hmm. to demonstrate like how this is, how it should be done. Um, they would have us take videos of ourselves doing stuff. And then like at the time it seemed kind of annoying, but that was the only way they knew, we knew what was going on. Yeah,
3: that's no. No, I agree. Um, I think you're referring to Dr. Clappis a little yeah, bit, but like she, Dr. Davis yeah,
2: really great job and all
3: that. But yeah, Dr. Clappis, she went like above and beyond. She would um, like pull in people that were her her patients at like a, I think she was a PT from Mount Holyoke at the time. I'm not sure if she still is, but she would like ask them to come on and do like a case study for that, and just be like, "Oh, we we're dealing with TMJ stuff. Does anyone know anyone with the TMJ thing?" And be like, "Oh, get them on here. We'll." do whatever, but like she went above and beyond. And like, when we were learning like the mechanics of the spine, she like took her kids Legos and we're just like actually doing like the mechanic and like some professors didn't do that because again, like the situation didn't let itself and like accessibility and stuff like that. But yeah, you could definitely tell who really cares and they want them to still be able to do what's possible without like limiting. Cause they're in the same boat too. They're like, this is new for them. Yeah. What the hell do I do with these kids? Like, I We're all in it together. <laughs> that's
1: really interesting because it's – you don't really look it through that perspective typically. Like usually as students, you're always like, my teachers are the worst, this and that. Um, but it's funny when stuff like this happens, you really see that they do care. Like they really putting a lot of effort. Before it's just like, did I get an A, B, C? Like now you see how much work they have to do to make this happen. Uh, and I think that's valuable too because that gives you – like you see them putting 120% in – you want to do more to like respect that and, and help that. So that's, that's interesting. We, uh, at MGH, we had a little bit different. We, obviously we didn't go through a pandemic at the time, but my learning was half virtual anyways. Like I would, our lectures were done virtually like recorded. Mm-hmm. We'd watch it and then come to class and we talked about it. Yeah. So I never really had like, tr- well at MGH, at Springfield was different. The lectures were like the class and we went over it. Um, So I I maybe resend my statement that would have failed out. I pretty much went through exactly what you guys are talking about, (laughs) but that was my curriculum. And it it does fine. It just, uh, you have to get used to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And the big piece isn't the lectures is what you take from the lectures and then apply it. So I think it's, it's interesting to see how they handle that situation because it's not easy, but, uh, it's definitely like you're able to do it. And Mm -hmm. you guys are showing that like, you're both like you graduated, you passed your exam, you're going to pass your exam soon. Um, so, that, that's really interesting. So, tell us a little about student physical therapy. Like, that is a different beast, right? Because you had to go do your clinical internships and all that type of stuff. Like, what was your feeling? Your First, well, first of all, where would you go for your first clinical?
2: Um, so, I was at a PTSMC in Brantford. So, that's like uh, outpatient orthopedics was right. our first one.
1: How was your experience with that? So, what were you feeling? Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> was, so we we're still in a pandemic. Yeah. So, like, we were... Still, like we go in like full PP, blue mm-hmm. shield, gloves, mask, and like wow. I have to wear it all day. I have to like stay six feet apart from everyone. So like, I, you know, there wasn't a ton of communication with my CI because for the most part, like everyone tried to stay separated. Stuff. Um, but obviously, there's a little there's a little bit of nerves going into it uh, into any new situation, but especially with this where. the You know, you don't really feel too confident with your skills, learning half of them online. Mm. So I think I did the best I could with what I had learned. And obviously there was a few speed bumps of things like, you know, you you go to do a mobilization, or like a test that you learned through the screen. And it's like, oh, like, you know, your CI corrects you a little bit. And it's definitely not your fault because you didn't, have the experience in person to, for your professor to come, like, no, like, put your hands like this and whatever. Um, but also, I did get to see this, uh, like, actually treating at an insurance based clinic and to see, like, it was still a very high volume, even through a pandemic. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned this earlier. Um, like, as a first year, yeah, you're supposed to see like 50% caseload. I was seeing like 20 patients a day. not obviously not knowing what i was doing so like to it it was definitely an experience and i I learned a lot from it and i did get a lot of experience kind of forced on me seeing 20 patients a day um but i think i found like that's not something i really want to do going forward is to kind of get like run down and be double booked and just like You're just trying to make it to 5 or 6 o'clock just to get out of there alive and then have to go home and take notes for hours on end. It's just not something. I did learn Like that's definitely not something I want to do as a career in that setting. Mm -hmm. Did you have an experience
1: like that?
3: Yeah, so my first clinical, I was at a base station in South Hadley. And um, it was not as bad as 20 patients a day. But there was definitely situations that i was not ready to be in like there was a super complicated surgery once and my c i was just like all right have fun with that and like i made all the mistakes no one got hurt thankfully no one fell no one like ruined the surgery or anything but like it was there's definitely that sense of like i don't know what the hell i'm doing you put me in a situation that i'm not comfortable with there's too much going on at once like it would be a thing where there was another student in my class with me at, there at the time. It would be, like, very unclear who sees who and, like, why am I seeing five patients back to back? They get one and then all these different things. So, yeah, not, like, the same situation, but definitely you can get thrown into situations that you're not ready for. And seeing a volume that necessarily isn't sustainable for your skill level and there's going to be things that you don't see that is just, like, over your head and
1: yeah and that's pretty interesting too like i keep saying everything's interesting because i find what you guys are saying interesting because <laughs> you know as you go through it and we talk like i had a lot of the same experiences and you don't really know that until you talk to people about it but i i feel like that is one of those things that Needs to happen, but it's really uncomfortable to go through. Okay. Trial by fire. It's, 100%. You mentioned it that. It, it's a learning experience, not only in terms of like, what am I gaining from this, but what am I gaining in terms of like, what don't I like about this? Because mm-hmm. um, I told you, I, I used to work at a PTSMC, very different from the one that you were at, mm-hmm. uh, but it was still, it started becoming more volume. Um, and there was a disconnect there. And what's funny is, 20 patients seems like a lot, but that's actually relatively low compared to some. Other places. Oh, yeah. Uh, Right. So it's, it's funny how you get thrown into that fire and you have to learn and figure that out. And is it maintainable? Like, yeah, you could do it. But I know I always felt like I wasn't always present. I always felt like I had to like worry about the next person and this and that. And who's who and like what's their name and what's their issue and then I'm treating your right shoulder but it's actually his right shoulder and I should be treating your knee like <laughs> I was all over the place at times, like but that's the the situation you're put in. Right? Uh but you kinda of learn and you adapt and you get better at those things, like I guarantee if you put yourself back in that situation, you'd be able to do it. Whether you like it is a different story. Um, But I think those are necessary evils. Like, I think you need to learn the experience of what you don't like, Mm -hmm. but also get put in those uncomfortable positions because that only gets you better at dealing and handling those situations, right? And here we have less volume, way less volume than uh, a uh, cash-based, sorry, uh, insurance-based clinic. However, we still have situations where we have similar interactions with the patients uh, that are difficult. Right. we have difficult um, conversations with them. Mm-hmm. We have to, I think it's just like the problems are different, but they're the same at the same time. Right. Yeah. We're not seeing the volume, but we're still getting complicated cases and we have to talk people through stuff. Um, so that's interesting that you guys mentioned that because that first clinical experience on my end was the same. Like oh
3: yeah. That. For like tangenting off that a little bit, like prior to getting into PT school, I never had interacted on like a clinical level with anyone and like, just learning how to communicate with people in a way that isn't like up here in terms of like using the verbiage that you've been learning yeah. and like just having a way to explain things in a way that a lay person can understand and like not using um, all these different things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But like being able to check in with a person on a, not like a surface level, but like that deeper level of yeah. How are you feeling? Okay. Is that how you're really feeling or is there underlying things like what is contributing to all these different things and being able to start learning that there is more to communication than just what is being said and how they report it. Cause sometimes it's not always like on the surface.
1: 100%, I think that is what saved me in my education was I communicated well already with people, Mm -hmm. Uh, forcefully. I was never a great communicator, but I read people very well and I could talk to them. Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of the whole process, just talking to them and getting to know them. Uh, Clinically, I was not where I needed to be in any of my clinicals. Mm I mean, I did the bare minimum to get past and whatever, and I still don't think I'm very good clinically. However. Uh, the experience of everything and talking through like that is what I'm realizing is more important at times. and you still want to be a good clinician, but
3: (laughs) I was talking with the first year at ASC recently and she's like super excited to go out on her first clinical and she's like, Oh, I can't wait to get hands on with these patients. It's like, calm down. There is so much more to the treatment than that. And she's going through like a little bit of like that first year PT thing. They think they know a lot Mm -hmm. and like their knowledge of, helping people is, oh, you want to palpate an MCL or, and it feel like this structure and it's like, great. That's great that you know that. But like, what is that going to do for a treatment? Are you going to show up and just be like, this is your MCL. Now what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there's definitely like that maturity level of knowing what you need to do and going along as you go through your clinicals and like something you mentioned before, like you showed up, you were nervous and there's people with more education than you. The, The imposter syndrome is real. Like, And that is totally okay to feel like if you can say, I don't know, honestly, that is like a huge portion of all this is. Because if you're not honest with yourself and you're like spouting off random bullshit about, oh, facial lines and all these different things. And it's just like has nothing to do with their situation. Like you're going to get yourself in trouble and people are going to know that if you're like just going off there.
1: It, it's funny because once you started hanging out with us and doing our mentorship sessions, like, ask Alex. I ask, like, I look at Roger and like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, explain to me that. Um, both, because I don't know, or two, because I heard it like four years ago and I don't remember anything about it. Um, but that's interesting. So from these experiences, like, I'm hearing the same stuff. We all have similar uh, experiences, like, hey, this was just nerve-wracking. We learned a lot, good and bad. Uh, what did you take from that experience in terms of, like, going for that first clinical is always eye-opening because you kind of get over those like imposter syndromes like like hey i'm not very good at any of this like what's neck because you have to do two other clinicals after that yeah. right uh what did you take from that first clinical that really kind of did you have a mindset shift there was it the same like i'm just gonna get through this like what was your experience
2: like going into the yeah, what did you take
1: from that first one that you took maybe into classes okay. and then to your next one? And um,
2: I think kind of like what you guys were touching on, like the whole communication portion. Because mm-hmm. like I worked as an aide for like my whole gap year and then a little bit before that, so I was in clinics. I kind of like knew a little bit about like how like an insurance based clinic runs and whatnot. But I had never been alone, one on one with someone who's in pain, and they're coming to you to. For help, mm. and you know, you never, you don't get that experience in, in the classroom. So, like, I definitely took that component away of just like how to deal with someone who's in pain and who needs help, and like how to speak to them, and like what language to use. And obviously, I could you know, there's improvements to be made on that. But I think really, like the experience I got with communicating with patients, it was it was priceless. Like it was, it's something I'm gonna obviously continue to improve on, but it's True. getting kind of thrown in the fire like that. Um, and having to figure that component out and how important it is. It's, it's definitely That's definitely the biggest thing I learned throughout my first
1: clinical. I think that's fair. And I think I said this the first week I was here with Alex. Like, we, Again, I've been doing this longer than both of you have. I think both of you guys are probably smarter than I am. <laughs> However... Uh, because I've dealt with so many reps of certain things and situations, uh, like when I first got here, Alex was having some trouble with like interacting with certain patients, and he would like really overthink things uh, and take it really personally. And, and one thing you have to remember going forward is like two things: one, like you said, they're coming to see you, right? That's huge. They're like they're coming to see you. Yeah, they have no <laughs> idea what you don't know. <laughs> exactly. So you, you know, at the very least, you still know more than they do. Right? And, and that's not bashing patients or anything like that, but you have a baseline knowledge is more than what they know currently. That's why they're coming to see you. Uh, so if you can kind of identify things, even if it takes a little bit longer than maybe an um, uh, experienced clinician, that's fine. Yeah. Right, And you get to know them. If you can do the small things that those expert clinicians aren't doing, like I don't care how many special tests or how good your manual skills are, if you didn't ask them what the problem was and why you think it's happening... Mm-hmm. You just blew their mind with that one question and you didn't even touch them. That's huge. Yeah. So I think he's starting to realize that a lot more that there's it's deeper than your special test oh.
3: and <laughs> 100%. <laughs> like 110%. Now you're
1: having really tough conversations with people, but valuable conversations yeah. with people.
3: Uh, granted. Like I have like I have a couple complex patients that are dealing with like long-term things right now and mm-hmm. sure they may be dealing with something like physically, but I, the situation around them is like the primary issue of like, I hate my job. I <laughs> can't do these things at my job. I can't modify at my job. It's putting me in all these different situations that really can't do it. And then my home life is stressful. Just like, all right, let's, let's talk about that. Like another thing here <laughs> or probably in anything, but like, I do a lot of talking with my patients just because
2: yeah.
3: what's going on up here plays a lot in what they feel. And if they have no avenues to get that out of there, like they're probably never going to be able to release that. And then their situation just like turns into this vicious cycle of I'm unhappy, I'm in pain. If you stay unhappy and in pain, like uh, the charts over there, like that uh, thought viruses and whatever you want to call them, it's just like that's part of the job too. And like those are not easy conversations to have. I personally am very uncomfortable having them because it's (laughs) like uh, now I'm very vulnerable and they're very emotional and they get emotional and like trying to be like comforting but also have like this – Iron fist of this is not going to get done unless we change things. Um, yeah. I don't know really where I was going with that, but like <laughs> there definitely is more to the interaction and understanding the people rather than just treating them. Yeah. That's just
1: impossible. Really. And that's valuable. Yeah. Most people don't realize that. They want to be good right away. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah they're they're not. Like, he he no. doesn't feel comfortable doing it now, but like looking at a year from when he's in the same situation again, yeah. Like, it's not going to feel like he's had this conversation a thousand times, right? It's like you in football, you snapped the ball how many times? Like millions and millions and millions of times, right? But the first time you did you're like, how do I, like, what is this? I don't, like, put me in there? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> right? But it takes reps. It takes time. It takes experiences. Uh, and the biggest piece of that is taking those experiences, and you hear in PT school all the time, and it's annoying because you're like, oh, man, my professors keep telling me to do this, is reflect, Right? They say, reflect on this experience, reflect on this, and you're going through school, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever, guys. Like, yeah. Next one up, like, what, what's next? Like, But reflection is a huge piece of that, and taking mm. from those experiences where you feel uncomfortable, where you don't know what you're doing, uh, and then make sure you're making sure you don't make the same mistake twice. Right. And if you do, it should be a little bit different, because you tried to implement things that you yeah. reflected on, right? No. Um, that
3: happens a lot with us, like in our mentoring sessions with Roger, it would be like, you're right, but why? Oh, it's just be like...
1: Man. That's the worst. Yeah. It's like and then you
3: explain it but he's like, okay, but why? And you have to keep answering the why. It's like eventually it's like, I don't fucking know why I did it. I just did it because I thought it would work and it worked. And, it's like, and it's like that's not the right answer. Yeah. You were right, but you didn't get the right answer. Yeah. So yeah.
1: it's not even if you're right or wrong, it's can't like where's your thought process going in that? And unless you have somebody challenging you to that, it's really easy to get into bad habits yeah. because you learned it or because you've seen it, because you this. even if it works. And they feel great, or whatever. If you don't have a really sound reason for it, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, kind of getting us back on topic. We kind of went <laughs> a huge of there, but um, what else? Like, you're in your third clinical now. This is day what? Three? Two? Yeah. Right. So we haven't had much experience in the cash-based room. but what in terms of like, is there anything else that has played a role or giving you some? confidence going into your clinicals outside of just school. Like uh, for me, I was a strength and condition coach for yeah. five years and that gave me a lot of like insight on movement and exercise prescription, all that type of stuff. Alex had the athlete thing. So he has that kind of like there's something to say about what you experience in sports that you can relate to people with, mm-hmm. even though it's not directly involved with the sport. Like do you feel like you've had those experiences and you can connect people with that? Yeah, uh,
2: definitely. Um, I can kind of like take little pieces of both beer. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a certified strength vision coach or anything, but I've been training for, you know, I got into weight for the first time when I was like 13 for football. Mm. Um, and then after my football career ended, um, you yeah, know, I kind of like got into like powerlifting and training and whatnot. So I, uh definitely like fell in love with that and I kind of went down any avenue I could to learn more about like programming and like biomechanics and started following certain people and like, um, you know, read their books, like watch their videos and just kind of became obsessed with that. And that kind of became my new thing. And like, I think just through the experience of like in the weight room, like going to the gym, like coaching my friends, coaching certain people, um, I gained a lot of experience with, you know, exercise and biomechanics, how people move, and like what w- could work for like certain injuries, and like how to fix their technique flaws or whatever. Um, so I think I've gained a lot of experience with that, and I think by like, going into like the clinical experiences, like you know, we didn't learn a ton of that in school. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Therax classes are like loop bridges and like band pull aparts. But it's like, you know, those things might not always be the best thing for some people. So I think, like, with the knowledge of strength and conditioning that I have
1: learned, I think I've been able to apply that to, like, my clinical experiences. And, you know, that's helped me a lot. I love that. I think I think that's important. I always tell everybody who goes into PT school and who's even interested in strength and conditioning, like, go shadow a good strength coach. Um, for the exact reason you just said there, right? It's not really taught in our programs and it's a shame that it's not, but that's the reality is that we get very limited their acts. Um, and when we go out into the real world and dealing with people, like those aren't usually the appropriate exercise. Like you're either way like under preparing them or you're choosing just exercises that you know, because that's what you've been taught and they don't even apply to that person. Yeah. Um, not only the exercise itself, because there's millions of exercises, millions of different movements and variations progressions, regressions that's all cool to know, but it's how you implement those things and not even from a programming standpoint, but how you approach that how you cue things, how you say things uh, and that's things that very expert clinicians some have uh, but you can learn a lot from strength coaches I think like feeling it is
2: a big component too mm-hmm. like, if you like tell someone to do something and you haven't experienced that before, it's very hard to mm-hmm. relate to them. And it's, you know, kind of like controversial for you to be like, all right, like this is how exactly how you do it when you haven't produced that, like yourself, you know? mm-hmm. And I, th- I think a lot of people out there like they they'll do that, you
1: know. You guys laugh at me, but like I sent him a message, maybe like a month ago. Like looking back, I've been here five months. I've taken jujitsu classes. <laughs> I have to take a pure bar class soon. Uh, I've done so many different things that I would have never done mm. just because our patients are experiencing that, or we think it might be beneficial because we're seeing more people get involved in these things. Yeah. Uh, I've done f forty five classes, like all these things that are available to everybody. But unless you experience it, you really don't know the language. You really don't know the uh, what you're feeling. Like these guys have gone to pure bar, and, like it, it's miserable. <laughs> yeah. Right? But now, guess what? We're going to go do a workshop for them. But we understand what they're going through because yeah. we've been through it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just take our lens and apply it to what those can are. help
2: you make better decisions. Yeah. Like,
1: a yeah. hundred
2: percent. exercise
1: you prescribe or like yeah techniques And are. better buy in with your patient, yeah. right? right? Like, Definitely. if you go to do different people, one is just like, yeah, we're going to here's a sheet of exercises or mm-hmm. somebody else who goes, Hey, like, Oh, you're a center. Me too. Or I know I played football. I was quarterback. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough position let's work on x y and z and you're hearing the same things you've been trained over and over and over again like you're gonna you're gonna respect that and you're gonna probably listen to him more because he's been in the same position you have he gets it he's been in the trenches with you <laughs> right so that's a, that's an important piece too
3: um one of the things me and him me and nick were talking about yesterday uh i think you said on your first clinical it was like some lady was having back pain with deadlifting. You're like, all right, let's oh, look yeah, at a deadlift. A, and then like his the CI is arm. like yelling at you. Yeah.
2: Don't. Yelling at you. <laughs> uh, this patient uh, in low back pain. She was, you know, around my age, yeah, younger. Um, she was like a competitive ballroom dancer. So very fit. And she um, had a pretty chronic stint of back pain. And mm-hmm. um, she was like, oh, like I gained some weight. I think that's contributing to it. So she got like a personal trainer. And she was having, she was doing deadlifts and personal training and she said she had some pain with them. So I was like, all right, let's look at it. And I just had a hinge and it looked horrible. Mm -hmm. So I got her to hinge properly with no weight. And then I added like five pound dumbbells to this little mini hinge. And my CI walks into the room, sees it, gives me a dirty look, walks out, I come back to my laptop and there's a note on my desk asking why I was giving so-and-so deadlifts and like, how, and then I got to hear why it was a bad decision and then he like wrote about it on my CPI and kept bringing it up throughout the year <laughs> and I was like, What was the reason he thought it wasn't appropriate? He was coming in for low back pain, so why would you have a low back pain patient? A patient with low back pain, deadlift. Because deadlifts are bad for your back, and I... Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy. I, I doesn't make any sense. sense. I've been deadlifts for, you know, 12 years, and my back feels pretty good. So I don't I don't
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, because that's more common than you think. There's a lot of people who... That, a lot of medical professionals who say that stuff, and yeah. we hear that all the time, yeah. especially here. Deadlifts are bad for
2: your back, squats are bad for your
1: knees. Yeah, so. but we do those motions every day, <laughs> it's just how we dose it is whether it's appropriate or not or what variation progression regression we choose it might be appropriate or not um but again going back to what you said before not many people know how to do that and that's a problem so they kind of just again go to know like that would have been a perfect opportunity you to turn around and ask them why it's not appropriate and figure that out (laughs) Uh, and if they didn't give you a good answer keep showing them how to do deadlifts (laughs) right because you have at least a reason behind that so that's that's interesting it's sad that that's the truth but
3: That happens. Some people don't know. Like, all her problems could have been solved purely by fixing her hinging movement patterns. And if did did you ever stop doing deadlift because he made you do that? Or? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, How much more pain was she in like throughout the rest of her?
2: She like she didn't really progress. That's all we were doing was she was laying prone, I'd be grasping, and <laughs> she would stretch. You know, she's a dancer, so her range of motion was. Pretty good, but see, I told me to make sure her hamstrings were flexible. Core
1: strengthening and flexibility. <laughs> it's all you need. It's all you ever need. Bird yeah. dogs and glute bridges and yeah. left. Which we're, we're kind of laughing at it, but there is a place for that. Yeah, all those yeah. things can be used and utilized, but people. Overutilize them and think it's the only way to yes. get better with certain things. So I don't like to bash it because it, it definitely has its place and it was, it's made for a reason. Yes, it's going to help you do that, but is that appropriate to that person? Yeah. Maybe yeah. not.
3: It's less about like the actual flexibility and core strength and like controlling those positions. Like if someone can't brace their spine in a deadlift, yeah. Sure, that's important for those things, but, like, you got to teach them how to do it and then apply it to <laughs> those and, situations.
1: And those are those sessions, like, you and Roger have this conversation all the time, and he actually mentioned it to me the other day, like, and you don't realize it until afterwards you start reflecting, like I was mentioning, but, like, patient-centered, clinician-centered, mm-hmm. right? That's a very clinician-centered argument. This is bad for her back. This is this, but if that's what she's having pain with, like, why aren't we looking at that? That does her no good, right? That was very clinician centered. Whereas a patient center would be like, hey, let's look at your deadlift. If that's what you're coming in with pain, and that's what keeps watching, let's look at that. Uh, but that's often overlooked, and you want to just do what you want to do or what you know, um, which is sad, but it's the truth, right? Um, cool. So we, we talked a lot, a lot today. So. I appreciate you getting to know you because that helped me. Because Now I know a little bit of background <laughs> from you, right? Uh, we've hung out with two days and we haven't had a ton of time to talk. But um, usually, you have any extra questions for him?
3: Uh, at the moment, no. Well, yeah. Keep...
1: <laughs> We'd we yeah. love it. So I usually like to end this with like a little quick speed round of just random questions, throw out whatever answer you got. You,
3: you want to go one for one? Yeah. You give one, I give one? Let's do
1: it. All right. Ready? You ready for it? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, number one, let's say, what's your favorite movement pattern? Oh, squats. Squats? Yeah. Okay.
3: Okay. Uh, least favorite professor at AIC. Ooh. Ooh.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Kidding. Uh, favorite class at AIC. Um, probably
2: Dr. Klopp's is
1: that spine course you take there. Okay.
3: there. That
1: was fun. That's fair. Favorite sport besides football. Basketball. See, we're going to get along.
3: Mm. <laughs> favorite basketball team?
1: Phoenix Suns. I learned at this point. Uh, uh, why Phoenix uh, Suns?
2: Steve Nash.
1: That's respectable. That's best point yeah. shot ever. That's respectable. <laughs> I the man help. with the nose. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite food? Uh, pizza. Mm-hmm. Any specific one? Uh, buffalo chicken pizza. <laughs> A good <laughs> buffalo chicken pizza. Hey, you and me are going to get along. we yeah. uh,
3: Where from? Good
1: boy.
2: That's a loaded question.
3: Uh, we're here for the hard co- hidden questions.
2: Um, it's weird. There's a place in Long Island, that because mm-hmm. I was there for my second clinical, but it's Mazza Fiatto in Center Reach, Long Island. Best mm-hmm. buffalo chicken pizza I've ever had
3: oh. in my entire life. Next time check. we're in a... Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go build some relationships down there just to go
1: there. 100%. <laughs> uh, favorite book or favorite audio book that you've listened to or any type read of thing? a ton. Um,
3: Your textbooks count, by the way.
2: (laughs) Does Pat Davidson's Rethinking the Big Patterns
1: book count? Excellent. Yeah. All right.
3: Uh, Favorite TV show? The Office. Office. That's easy. Yeah. (laughs) Good
1: one. I think your, your Spitfire round is done. But the last question I usually like to ask people is looking back, like if you could turn back time five years ago, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself? Um. Probably just don't be so shy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's fair. Like <laughs> get out of your shell a little uh. bit quicker. Um, network better. As in, just you know, take, you know, put myself out there more, and just try to do, try to experience more opportunities within this field. Um, I think <laughs> I missed out on a lot. <laughs> I think I missed out on a lot because I was too afraid to like. Ask questions and go shadow and just try to mentor and like put myself in different situations where I was uncomfortable. That like looking back at now, I have no idea like, why I would ever be uncomfortable doing those things.
1: That's fair. Can relate. Yeah, I, mean, I think we all can relate. With yeah. that. We know all that like these guys last me when I we go do seminars at a place I used to work at. And my boss at the time, right, who's a friend now, he's just like, I've never seen you do any of that stuff. So I was the same way as well. But that's a good piece of advice because that's it becomes more important. It's not an easy thing to do, but the most growing comes from those uncomfortable positions. Um, so, yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, Nick, thanks for coming on. We appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Guests to be determined. And we'll see what happens. Yeah,
3: surprise. Yeah. Uh, before we head on out, where can people find you? Where can we reach out to you?
2: Um, Social media, whatever. Instagram. I'm at Nick underscore Casagrande. Simple. <laughs>
1: <Effective>. <laughs> one of one. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> all right, Nick. Thank you, and uh, thanks for all our listeners for coming. Mm-hmm. Sounds good.
0: Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please. Share it with others by taking a screenshot of this episode and posting it to your story on Instagram and tagging at moveathleticspt so we can repost it. And to stay up on all the latest from me, make sure that you follow at moveathleticspt on Instagram and Facebook and then subscribe to the Move Athletics newsletter at www.moveathleticspt.com. All right, guys. Catch you next episode.